pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd ask you please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James. We're in the first chapter of the book of James. We'll be reading from James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 8. I would ask you if you're able, please, to stand together with me as we read. James writes to God's people, and the Holy Spirit inspired him to write to God's people these words. Hear from God's Word. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Maybe too far for some of you to think back to 1988. And uh, you may have watched that year. You may not have watched that year. The Grammy Awards, you know, awarding the, the different music shows that are or the, the, the different songs that are out there on the radio. But in 1988, the uh, number one song of the year, the Grammy number one song of the year, was a song written by a gentleman named Bobby McFerrin. I don't know if that helps any of you yet. Let me, let me read to you uh, some of the words from that song. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note by note. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlord said, your rent is late. He may have to litigate. But don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Hey, I'll give you my phone number. When you worry, uh, call me and I'll make you happy. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no cash, ain't got no style, ain't got no gal to make you smile. Don't worry, be happy. Because when you worry, your face will frown and that will bring everybody down. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. And so on. You probably remember that song, even if you weren't listening to the radio quite uh, all that much. It was just quite popular. Everybody heard it and liked it. And uh, it's kind of a you know, real positive note. Don't worry, be happy. But I have to ask you this morning as we read this passage in James here, in the first chapter of James, is that what James is telling us? Is he, uh, is he simply, was he the first Bobby McFerrin, right? Was he simply telling us, look, and whatever troubles you're having, don't worry, but just be happy. Is that what he was saying? Well, I don't think that was what the, uh, James is telling us, just a don't worry, be, be happy. Um, 
I, I don't think it's a reality in Christian's life anyway. It's not a reality in my life. Uh, I've been in the uh, been active in the church since, gosh, I was five or six years old. I don't remember anyone in any church I've ever been in that that was the constant reality of their life where they could go through all of the troubles and difficulties of life and just don't worry, be happy. I don't think that's what James is telling us. Hopefully, if you were with us last week, you'll remember as we did kind of an introduction to James. We talked about why James was writing this letter. And he is writing this letter to believers to remind them what it is a Christian looks like. What does a, what does a Christian look like? We said uh, he may be all different uh, shapes and sizes and maybe red, yellow, black, or white. It doesn't matter. You can't tell. That's not what it means to be a Christian. But what does it mean to be a Christian is in how you live. What does it look like once you've become a Christian, once the Lord has, has brought salvation into your life, it changes you, what does that look like? And that's what James is telling us about here. And so this morning as we look at this passage, James is telling us what it looks like for a Christian in the middle of an incredible trials in your lives. What does it look like? How does a Christian act when times are bad, when times are rough, and when he goes through trials of many kinds, as James says. James isn't saying the same thing as Bobby McFerrin. He's, in, he's, he's uh, instructing us as Christians how to live a life that is a truly Christian life, even in the middle of our trials. And so this morning, I want us to consider what he tells us about a Christian life in the middle of our trials. The first thing I want you to notice here is that... Uh, Trials are a reality in Christians' lives. Notice in verse 2 here, James doesn't say if you ever encounter a trial as a Christian. That's not how he starts it. He doesn't say, brothers, if you ever face a trial of any kind. No, he says, whenever you face or when you encounter trials of different, time, of different kinds. Someone has said, if you live on planet Earth for any length of time, something bad is going to come into your life. You've heard of Murphy's Law that states anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Nowadays we have Petrov's Law. It says that Murphy was an optimist. You know, if you're a Christian, you're not immune from difficulties and trials in your life. Jesus told us, as he told his disciples, telling us too, that, that we were going to go through trials and hardships and difficulties. He tells his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If the world hates you because of being a Christian, the world hates you because of Jesus hated him so much they crucified him. He tells us in the Sermon on the Mount about the trials and the difficulties we would go through. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness for sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
wasn't just Jesus and James that remind us that we're going through these things. Peter tells us that we're going to go through trials too. Second Peter chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says, you know what, you, you better be ready for it. If you're a Christian, you're going to go through hard times and difficulties. Paul tells us the same thing. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. This is really interesting because we as Presbyterians realize that our salvation is because God has granted it to us, right? And so he starts off uh, Philippians 1, 29 with that. He says, it has been granted on you. Uh, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him good Presbyterians yes he's granted it to us he's elected us but listen what else Paul says there it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him it's been granted to, that's part of our election too God determined that we would suffer for him this is the this is the way that all the saints in Scripture, uh, especially in the New Testament, had it right. Don't you believe that? I mean, you think of uh, the first martyr, Stephen. What's he being put to death for? He's speaking the gospel. He's, he's telling the truth. He's telling them about Jesus. He's being persecuted pretty severely. They stone him to death. The one who was kind of in charge of his stoning, then Saul becomes Paul, and becomes a, a missionary for Christ, and he begins to see how much he would suffer. Even in God's calling to him, says, I must show him how much he must suffer for me. And you remember times like when, when he and uh, Silas were in Philippi, and they get beaten and thrown in jail, and with their backs bleeding and, and bruised, they sit in the, in the Philippian jail there in the dark hours of the night, and what are they doing? They're singing hymns. Amazing thing. You go down the list of all of the apostles and you find some of their their some of them being martyred even in the New Testament, but we have extra biblical information that tells us that all but one of the apostles died a martyr's death. And that one was John, and they attempted a martyr's death on him, but it didn't kill him. So what they wound up doing was exiling him to the Isle of Patmos, which was a, uh, where you went as a penitentiary island, right? Suffered persecution, all of them. Throughout history, we see it very early on, an apostle of, of John himself named Polycarp. Uh, in the early part of the second century, Polycarp was 83 years old when soldiers came and said, you must swear allegiance to Caesar. You must take the, the little incense and throw it on the, on the fire and say, you know, Caesar is Lord. And he refused to say it. He said, if you don't, we'll burn you. And he says, you know what? These 83 years, he's never let me down. Why should I let him down? And so Polycarp goes to the state to be burned alive at 83 years old. It continues on throughout history. Martin Luther was persecuted for his uh, belief and, and stance, and there were several attempts to martyr him. John Calvin were attempts to martyr him. John Knox was taken and, and become, uh, forced into slavery on a galley ship because of his, his uh, commitment to Christ. And the list goes on and on of the persecution of the saints throughout the years. 
And it hasn't stopped in our day. In fact, I'm told that in the 20th century, there were more Christian martyrs than all of the other centuries combined before that. And it's going on in the 21st century. You see it. The media doesn't put much information out there about it, but Christians are being persecuted throughout the world today much more than we are. Many times to loss of property or loss of, of, of life or being thrown in prison and persecuted simply because they're Christians. There is a certainty of, of, of hardships and trials if you're a Christian. This morning, you may have come thinking, why is God doing all this? This doesn't seem right. Well, you know what? If you're going through hardships, it is right. It is right because that's what we've been granted, right? Ligon Duncan, on his sermon in this passage, um, suggests that there are different improper ways that we respond to this persecution, these trials. First of all, it's a question which I bet you've asked, because I know I have. Why is this happening to me? Why? All I'm trying to do is be good and serve the Lord like he wants me to. I'm faithful in church. I, I, I give my time. I, I try to do all these things that are right. Why is this happening to me? If we allow that to fester and go on, we begin to doubt the goodness of God and say, well, yeah, I know he's sovereign and he's in control, but he is sure not very good to me. If he, could, if he was, this wouldn't be happening to me. And then we finally give up, somehow taking the mindset of the pro of prosperity gospel. If I just do everything right, God's going to give me everything I want, and it doesn't happen. And we finally say, this whole Christianity thing is not worth it for me. It's not working for me. So we give up. And then if things get bad enough, we begin to get bitter towards God. It's interesting how this bitterness oftentimes works its way into being uh, atheistic. God just cannot exist with all this evil existing in the world, and I hate him for the exist I hate him for all the evil. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but we get there. How are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to respond to the certainties of trials in our lives? James tells us, consider it pure joy. My brothers, consider it pure joy when you're facing these kinds of trials. Does that mean I'm happy in the, in the difficult circumstances and when things are tough on me that I'm just going, oh, yay, this hurts so bad, I love it? That's not exactly what he's telling us. Not even Jesus did that. You remember uh, just back in Hebrews chapter 12, we're, we're reminded to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, here's the joy, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured it. Scorning the shame. Remember? Remember the night before the cross was to happen and Jesus goes to the garden and he prays, Lord, is there any way, is there any other way? If there is, then let this cup pass from me. It's not something, the pain and the trials and the difficulty here. If there's any other way, I prefer not to go through it. But, but he did go through it. How did Jesus find any joy in the cross? 
Well, he found joy in the cross. We're told there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 as well. How did he find joy in the cross? Because he rejoiced. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus was able to, to look at this trial and the certainty of it and the difficulty of it. How did he find any joy in what he was about to go through? He knew the end. He knew that that wasn't going to be the end, the hardship and the trial and the, and the difficulty. He knew that wasn't going to be his end. He knew there was more to come. And that more to come would be the salvation of all of his people and it would be him resurrected into heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling in heaven. For all eternity, Jesus knew the end result and therefore he could rejoice. What are the results of our trials? The author uh, of Hebrews, tell, or excuse me, the author uh, James tells us here what... Uh, the result of our trials are to be. Um, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, but may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right? Sounds pretty good. Speaking of Christian trials, William Barclay said, "They're not meant to make us fall. They're meant to make us soar." They're not meant to defeat us. They're meant to be defeated. They're not meant to make us weaker. They're meant to make us stronger. Therefore, we should not bemoan them. We should rejoice in them. What happens because of the trials we go through? Well, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance is a pretty good thing, right? I don't know if any of you have ever seen it, but I've seen uh, these, these uh, shows about the Navy SEALs and their training, and they have to go through a week of training called Bugs uh, Training. And uh, the, the final week of that they call Hell Week. And it's like they put them through the most difficult thing that, that you can imagine. Sleep deprivation, they're being yelled at, they're shooting guns over the top of them, they're, they're, they're straining their bodies physically, going through the most difficult things that they could go through, the most difficult things that they could imagine to put them through. Some of these guys finally have to go ring the bell, that means they're done, but it's only because they, they've broken their legs and can't complete the training, and, and they broke their legs on, a, on some sort of incredible thing that they have to do, and they wind up finishing it even though their legs are broken halfway through. It's just amazing the, 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 the hardships that they put them through. Why do they put them through that? Well, they put them through it saying, if you can get through this, you can get through anything that's out there. This is going to be harder. And we're going to test you so that when you get into harm's way, you'll be able to persevere. Testing of our faith should help us to be able to persevere in life's most difficult hardships that are out there. He goes on, what happens with the perseverance then? He says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. Mature and complete. 
not lacking anything. That sounds pretty good to me in my Christian life that I wouldn't lack anything that God wants for me. Do, do you desire to be mature and complete, not lacking anything? Or maybe you desire instead to be a Peter Pan Christian. You know Peter Pan. I don't want to grow up. I don't ever want to grow up. Are you a Peter Pan Christian that I don't want to grow up? I'd rather not go through the difficulties that's going to cause me to make me mature, to grow up. James says that we go through these trials. We can rejoice in them because we know the end result of these trials. That we are, that we, uh, uh, our faith will, in the midst of these trials will develop perseverance, and perseverance would help us be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Trials in the Christian life are meant to make us strong in our faith, strong in trusting God. How much do you trust God in your life? You ask yourself this question: How much do I really trust God? Is it easier to trust Him when everything's going well, when there's plenty of money in the bank, when, uh, when my job's going well, when I am healthy and well, and everyone I know is healthy and well, and the prosperity gospel is really working for me? Is it really easier then to put my faith in God? How is that really showing faith that you're trusting God when everything is going well? In fact, in the book of Job, remember, when Satan comes to God and says, you've got a hedge built around him. That's the prosperity gospel. He's got everything that anyone could ever want. No wonder he serves you. But if you take it away from him, he'll curse you and die. <laughs> and Job doesn't. Job continues to show his faith and trusting that God is good and God knows what's going on and God is, is bringing these things on to him and he's not a wise God. And even in the midst of these trials and hardships and difficulties, Job can say, the Lord is given and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a mature faith, isn't it? You can never express that kind of mature faith if, if everything is going well and perfect and good for you. So when you find yourself in times of trials, James is telling us rejoice because these things God is using in our life to help us build our faith and strengthen our faith and trust that God, who is all wise, is doing all things well and He's even going to work it together for good for us. Well, one more thing. We've, we've looked at the the reality, the certainty of trials in a Christian's life, the result of those trials, which is a, a good thing. We should be able to rejoice in knowing the, the, the results. A third thing is wisdom in the time of trials. And we see it in verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. When he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a, a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will see, receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Now you look at that and you might go, well, how does that belong to what we've just been talking about, the difficult times and the trials of the Christian life? If, if you're following in the NIV, you'll notice that the translators of the NIV have this as part of the same paragraph. Verses... Uh, 
Verses 5 through 8 are part of the same paragraph. Verses 2 through 4, many other English translations do the same thing. It's the same paragraph. Now, the ESV has it in two paragraphs. I think they made a mistake there. Uh, many English translations have it all in one paragraph. There's a reason for that is this is still part of the same idea here. He's still dealing with this idea of trials and temptations in our lives. John Stevenson, a PCA pastor, has written on this and he said, James does not say to ask God for release from suffering that we experience. He does not tell us to ask God for the strength to endure he says to ask for wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom in, involves seeing things from God's perspective. This is important. It is only as you're able to see your trials from God's perspective that you will be able to consider it all joy. Ligon Duncan uh, says of this about this wisdom here. He says he's telling us that what the Christian needs in order to rejoice in trials is wisdom. How do you rejoice in the midst of your trials? It's not a natural thing. It's not something natural for me, I don't think. It's probably not natural for you. Um, you may be asking as I do, why, Lord? We need God's wisdom to remind us, not necessarily that we're going to understand this trial, this temptation, this hardship right now, but to understand that God, who is eternal, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, He's got it all in control. And He's wise working it all together. We don't know the beginning from the end. All we see is the trial that we're currently going through. It's not a natural thing for us to be able to rejoice in the middle of our trial. I don't think it was a natural thing for Paul and Silas to be sitting in the Philippian jail with their backs all bruised and, and bloody and, and singing hymns. But they were able to do it. We can only achieve this kind of joy in the middle of our trials by the Lord granting us wisdom to see that He has the end and the beginning all together and to see that even though we might not understand it right now that's okay because God does and see it from his perspective who is working this somehow together for good that God is going to work this somehow to make us mature not lacking anything we need wisdom from God to be able to see this and this is why James encourages us to pray for wisdom in the middle of our trials. If we're going to rejoice in them, we must see uh, that God is uh, the result that God is going to bring in our lives. So this morning, maybe you're going through a difficult time. You don't know exactly how you're going to get through it. Maybe you've thought, uh, I just need to buck up and say, don't worry, but be happy. Put a smile on it. That's not what James is telling us. Rather, he is telling us to know that the God who is in charge of all things, the God who is all-wise, and who knows the beginning from the end, he has brought this difficulty in your life to make you stronger, to grow your faith, so that you will 
be full grown, mature, not lacking anything. Knowing this, you can rejoice. Let's pray.